my name's Ryan. I want to welcome you also if you're visiting with us. Um, I'm one of the servant leaders here in this family. And our mission is to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. And what that means is when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we become part of a new family with a new father, God the Father. And so in the same way we love our biological family and serve them, we want to love and serve our spiritual family too, as brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. Uh, We want to be followers of Jesus together, and we want to have the same kind of heart posture that Jesus had. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was all about other people and considering them better than himself. That's what we want to do as a family of followers of Jesus, too. We want to consider others better than ourselves. And ultimately, with the goal that we would help other people follow Jesus, uh, we all know friends and neighbors and uh, people in uh, our workplace and uh, family who, who maybe are disconnected from God. We want to, by the way we love and serve each other and love and serve the world, help them see who God is and help them take steps towards following Jesus. We want to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. Um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series that we started a few weeks back on the book of Daniel, where we're looking at uh, this young teenager, young teenager, middle teenager, however he's got, he's a teenager who's been taken from his home, uh, brought to a foreign land with foreign customs and foreign gods, and he's trying to figure out how he can live with integrity in the midst of that adverse context. In the first couple chapters we've already looked at, um, he's done that. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who we're going to talk about this morning, has been wowed by his God because of that. So as we start this, join me again really quickly. I want to ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, thank you that we can gather together like this. Thank you that um, we can be spiritual family with one another. Thank you that we can help others follow you. So we pray that the words from my mouth and more so the words from Scripture would point our hearts towards who you are, towards what you've done, towards the greatness of your son Jesus and his kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So has anyone noticed that there's been a little bit of a swing of temperatures over the past few days? Right, like minus 50 to what's today going to be, 40? Yeah, my wife and I were talking about after the gathering, sometime this afternoon if it's not raining, even if it is raining, we've got to take a walk. Like, you cannot waste 40-degree weather in winter. Anybody remember, too, that last Monday we got just dumped on with snow? Right? What was it, 12 to 18 inches? I don't know what it was, but it was a lot of snow. Guess whose snowblower was broke? Right? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Murphy's Law, the biggest snow. And I, I know a talented guy who knows how to fix these really well, but it's still broken at that time. Right? And I'm like, oh boy. So, a little backstory. Over Christmas break, when we went home, I thought I would be nice. My folks have a condo, a townhouse condo, where they have a service that comes in and takes care of the snow. But I thought I'd be nice and take care of the snow. But it was that, like, really wet, heavy snow. And now, I, I may look really big, but, you know, I'm not that big. And so I'm shoveling this snow, and I'm like, huffing it, right? It was hard. And I, I did something similar to like a mild hernia, something like that. And so I was kind of injured and I tried to shovel one other time when I got back after that. And it kind of set me back. It made me, you know, uncomfortable, sore, etc. And so I'm like, here we go. We have this big snowstorm coming, but I don't want to shovel it because I know if I shovel it, normally I just go out there and huff it and get it out, get it on, right? But I knew I would set myself back, so I'm like, what am I going to do? I've got a few options. I can ask my wife and my kids to go out and shovel the biggest snowstorm of the season. I'm new in my neighborhood. I have all the neighbors think, 
Oh, what a loser. He sends his wife out to shovel the biggest snowstorm of the year. Oh, yeah, isn't he a pastor, too? Yeah, that would be a good example. So I could do that. Um, I, I could go out and do it myself and, and just kind of injure myself and set myself backwards. I could do what my wife suggested and swallow my pride and ask my neighbor for help who has a two-stage snowblower. I didn't like any of those options, though, right? And so I'm trying to think of a fourth option. I'm like, what's a fourth option? What's a fourth option? What's a fourth option? There's a problem, though. I couldn't think of one. And so what did I do? I was like, gulp. Joe, I know we don't really know each other. Like, I just moved in, etc. But here's the deal. Blah, 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 blah. And it was no problem. He came over, he, he snowballed, when it got time after he did his, and he came over to mine, I'm like, hey, you want me to take over? I'm willing to do it. But you know how sometimes people are a little bit finicky with their machines? I think he didn't want me to use his machine, so he said, I'll take it. I was like, that's okay, you know? So anyways, I swallowed my pride, he did it, and it was no big deal. This is a funny first world problem, right? Compared to the big things in life, this really isn't a big deal. But when we zoom out and look at this concept of pride in general, we see it running rampant in our world. I mean, if you're like me, sometimes I want to be noticed and I react when I'm not. We need to be respected and we get angry if we're not. We need to feel better than others so we continually compare and contrast and and think about us in comparison to them. We need to be right and, and, and better and need to know so we post our opinions in essence telling them you're wrong i'm right right it's so easy and so predominant if you're like me to make life about me in my kingdom so to speak rather than god and his kingdom and there's a reason i do this and that we do this there's a one word answer pride pride right so I wonder, though, as we, we continue this series, Daniel, and look at Daniel chapter 4, I wonder if God has a different vision for us, uh, focused on a different kingdom and a, a vision that would allow his humility, not our pride, to become ours and give us a different and a better vision for life. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So I invite you to turn, if we've got that slide, Gary, to Daniel chapter 4, page 618, if you use one of the Bibles under our chairs here, page 618, otherwise in your app, wherever We're going to have you turn to Daniel chapter 4. And and this is going to look at a character we've been looking at all along, King Nebuchadnezzar, and kind of a unique, it's definitely unique. I can't think of any other place in Scripture with a story like this, a unique encounter that he had with God. So let's go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonder that the wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom's an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, and if you've been here with us for Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, or if you haven't, you would know for, Dan, or for Nebuchadnezzar to say things like he's saying, this is unusual a little bit. Like, there's been a little bit of wow factor in Nebuchadnezzar's life where he's like, wow, your God is the most high God as he's interacted with Daniel and Daniel's interpreted dreams and he's seen the power of Daniel's God. But here you have in verses 1 to 3, look at what he's saying. 
the wonders that, that the Most High has performed me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. The most powerful man in the entire known world at that point, who thought he was God, is giving praise, honor, and glory to God. He's like an evangelist for God in verses 1 to 3, saying the good news of who God is. This is kind of crazy when you know the character of Nebuchadnezzar. And these first three verses are going to match up what we're going to read at the end of chapter 4. And as we get into verses 4 through like 35, we're going to say the experience that led him to think this way. So that's zooming in after he experienced what we're going to look at in verses 1 to 3. Then now we're going to zoom in and see what made him think this way. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy God is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the, vision, in the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and browns remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him... Did anybody notice what just happened? It's weird. It was saying the pronoun it's, and now it just changed to him. Just interesting. Okay. So let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal. Till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone who wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods lives in you. Notice, verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar the most powerful man on earth, he's living the good life. Seems like he's content and prosperous in his palace. But even though he, he's living life well, contented and prosperous, he has this dream that he can't shake. And this dream, it says, terrifies him. So Nebuchadnezzar does what a smart king would do who's experienced what he does. He calls the answer man. Right? He calls the guy whose God gives him the ability to take these dreams 
and then to interpret them. He's like, my guys, all my astrologers, magicians, diviners, whatever, they, they can't answer this, Daniel, but I'm going to call for you because the spirit of the holy gods lives in you. You've already told me dreams in the past, so I, I would imagine that you would be able to do it. Again, look at verse 9. No mystery is too difficult for Daniel's God. And so Nebuchadnezzar begins to tell Daniel his dream. He's like, There's this, there was this tree, and it was majestic. It's, it's top-touched to the heavens, and this tree provided shelter and, and protection and fruit and food for, for all the people. But then there was, the tree was supposed to be cut down and just leaving a stump that was to be bound with bronze and iron. And then, Daniel, you'll never get it. He wouldn't say this, but I'll say this. The pronoun changed. He wouldn't say that to Daniel. But the pronoun changed, and it stopped talking about it as an it and started talking about this tree as a him. And he, whoever he was, was to live out amongst all the elements as like a wild animal and be changed from a man to an animal. Look at why this is supposed to happen. Go back with me. Verse 17. Verse 17. This decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He gives them to anyone he wishes, and he sets over them the lowliest of men. So that. And I think this is a really important application for our lives, if we take it out of this text, here's what that means. No matter who's in charge of our country or who's in charge of the world and whether we like them or not, this is telling us that God is the one with supreme power. No man or woman. It's telling us that God appoints or allows people to leadership. So am I saying our votes don't matter, don't vote? No, but I'm saying he's over even that. That's what this is saying. That God is over all the kingdoms of all the earth for all time. He's in control. And see, why this is so important is if we don't believe this, when things don't go our way in what we've talked about, we're going to be super stressed out. We're going to be super stressed out. We could apply this to life, too, not just what I talked about, leadership and in our world, and our country, things like that. We could apply that. When things don't go our way in, in our family, when things don't go our way in the workplace, when things don't go our way in school or with friends or on our sports team, if we don't believe that God is in control, we're going to be super stressed out. Why? Because then we have to be in control if he's not. So I, I, I almost wonder... If God is saying he wants him, whoever him is at this point in the story, we know who it is, it's Nebuchadnezzar, but he wants him to realize another kingdom, a better kingdom, with a different king and a better king. I wonder. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. We'll read 19 to 27. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do, you not, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, Beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field 
and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. Believe the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its root remains in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the king. You'll be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge, when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So notice, you, you, in this, you have both people terrified by this dream. You have Nebuchadnezzar because he's like, I, I don't get it. I don't get what it means. And you have Daniel terrified because he's like, he, isn't it amazing? Here's this guy who doesn't seem to have any, um, any desire to follow Daniel's gods besides certain aspects we see. But then he goes right back to not. And Daniel has this respect for him. And he's terrified because he doesn't want, he doesn't want his king to be terrified by this dream. You're welcome. He's not terrified because of the dream. He's like, and I don't even think he's terrified necessarily that Nebuchadnezzar is going to do something poorly to him or, or hurt him. He's gained his respect. He's been elevated in position, but he has a respect for him as king nonetheless. And this is what he says. This dream Nebuchadnezzar has used squarely as the subject matter. And because of your pride, because of your lack of acknowledging God and, and his power and who he is, he's going to drive you away from your people. You're going to be like an animal. You're going to live in the fields with all the other animals. And you're going to do this until, it says, you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to whoever he wishes. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, this isn't a permanent thing, right? When you acknowledge that heaven rules or that, that God rules, then you'll get your kingdom back. And I want you to go back to verse 27 with me because it's interesting to note this is the only piece of advice that Daniel gives. The rest was God's dream that he gave Nebuchadnezzar, that Daniel, he gave Daniel the power to interpret. This is the piece of advice he gives Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. This took some guts, I think. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind and depressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So Daniel interprets the dream that of what God says will happen, but isn't it interesting that he almost holds out the hope that if Nebuchadnezzar were to humble himself before God, it wouldn't have to happen. If Nebuchadnezzar were to repent, I think it says... And, and change, renounce his sins and turn away from them and have his life match 
his heart, it wouldn't have to happen. This dream would just have been a dream, but it wouldn't have to take place. It's just interesting. And I thought about this as I was putting together, family, is there, is there any way that God has been challenging you or encouraging you to humble yourself? Is there any way that God has been encouraging us, put myself in there too, to humble ourselves? Maybe we need to humble ourselves in a relationship. Maybe with our spouse, maybe with a child, maybe with a parent, maybe with a friend, maybe with a coach, maybe with a boss, maybe with an employee. Maybe there's a relationship where God is challenging us, and really I would say inviting us, because humility is a great thing with what it produces, to humble ourselves. See, maybe um, we have a wrong attitude towards one of those relationships that I talked about. Maybe we have a wrong attitude towards someone we're in a group with. Maybe um, what would it look like to humble ourselves? I've found it's hard to be angry at a person or, or against them, so to speak, if I'm regularly praying for them. Why? Because I'm going to God with this as someone else created in the image of God if he's forgiven me if he's given me so much how can I hold anything against them when I'm regularly praying for someone I've found that it's hard to be angry with them maybe God would put it on our heart that we need to actually physically go to another person humble ourselves say we're sorry and ask forgiveness that's so easy sometimes it's not is it sometimes it's not And God puts it on our heart or challenges us, invites us to do that. And we kind of say, oh, I'll do it later. And then he does it again. Then we say, I'll do it later. And before long, there's this wall that's built up. It's harder to get over than if we just acknowledge it and do something with it. Uh, Maybe uh, we vow not to speak negative words against whoever that is. Whether it be in our mind, whether it be out loud, whether it be to other people. How might God challenge us to humble ourselves? Maybe, um, maybe God might challenge us to humble ourselves in regards to our stuff. To our stuff. To what we have. Look at verse 28 with me. We're going to read 28 to 30. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace. So get that. A year later. As he was walking on the roof, uh, the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I mean, I guess, humanly speaking, he had reason to boast about this. He was the one who was in charge when all of this happened, all of this stuff all his possessions. And yet I wonder, what would it look like to to humble ourselves before God with all our stuff, with all our possessions, to say, you know what, we're really not, even though we work hard, we're not self-made men, we're not self-made women, but we only have what we have because of God and his goodness and the fact that he gives us today and tomorrow and the next day. What would it look like to say, God, my stuff is your stuff? And I'm not going to use my stuff for my kingdom, but I'm going to use it for your kingdom and to honor you. I mean, maybe it would be as simple as opening up your home to relationally bless 
and encourage other people with what God has given to you. Maybe it would be that you would uh, seek to financially help someone you know who's in need. It'd be like, God, it's your stuff anyways, so they've got a need. I'm, I'm going to help them out. Maybe you would give generously to causes that resonate with your hearts, that honor God and his kingdom. I don't know, but I, I wonder what would it look like for us to have a humble attitude regarding all that God's given to us. Maybe God's been humbling or challenging us or inviting us, encouraging us to humble ourselves in regards to the need to be in control. If that's you and you're a woman, I, I just have to point back to the announcements, right? If, if we're men, we just put a wig on, whatever, we need to go there too, right? Because we struggle with this just as much as women, if not more. But maybe God has been challenging us regarding our struggle of needing to be in control. And you can tell, you can tell we're grasping at control by the things that we're anxious about and the things that kind of consume our thoughts. We can't shake, so to speak. And the best way that I've found to release those things of control is by prayer. By going to God. And sometimes it takes repeated a lot of times because I just want to hold on to that. Maybe we need to regularly release that back to God. Say, God, sorry for taking, grasping at control of what's yours anyways. Uh, what I often try and visualize is taking it off my shoulders and like physically putting it on Jesus' shoulders. Maybe there's an area in our life where God's encouraging us to give up control. Where would God encourage us, family, to humble ourselves? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our stuff. Maybe it's grasping at control. Maybe it's something else. We're going to give a little time at the end to process that, to reflect upon that. But where would God be encouraging us to humble ourselves? Verse 30. Verse 30. Go back to the text with me, please. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Verse 31. Verse 31. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Well, immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Notice when his sanity was restored, when he raised his eyes towards heaven. Then I praised the Most High, I honor and glorified him who lives forever. He repeats what he had said earlier. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Well, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride 
he's able to humble. So Daniel, again, reiterates why this is happening, and he reiterates when it'll stop. When Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God is in control over the kingdoms of men, gives them to anyone he wishes. And verse 34 tells us, Nebuchadnezzar, he raises his eyes towards heaven, and then his sanity is restored. Then his sanity is restored. He was brought low so that he could see high. He was humbled so that he could believe in a different king and a different kingdom. And we can, we can see this in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. We can see this in life today, this acknowledgement that there's um, heaven rules, that there's a different king and a different kingdom. It, it can be threatening. Right? It's these two slides, if you bring them up, Gary. You're a step ahead of me. Thank you. In this kingdom, where the king lives forever, okay, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to, where the king's dominion or power authority is eternal, Nebuchadnezzar's was not, where the kingdom endures from generation to generation, Nebuchadnezzar's would come to an end. And I think we have one more. Where all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, This doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us or that we are nothing. But this is actually freeing if we believe that in comparison to God, we're as nothing. doesn't mean he doesn't care about us. doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He's just so much greater. That should not be a bad thought for us. It should actually be a good thought. We're like, God is so amazing. Where he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, he's in control. Where no one can hold back his hand or say, what have you done? See, this is talking about a different king and a different kingdom that can either be threatening to us, depending upon how we view it, or it can be, as Kayla was talking about in announcements, when we give up control, it can be super freeing. You got this. My job is trusting. You got this. That relationship, that profession, that financial crisis, that medical issue, that whatever, God's got it. He's in control. See, Again, we can take it either as freeing or threatening, depending upon how we read it. But I was struck by Daniel's advice in verse 27. It's eerily similar to someone else to advice that he gave people. If you bring up Mark, Gary, these are the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God. Notice how we talked about the kingdom of God in that passage? The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And well, Nebuchadnezzar, he was a mere mortal with reason to boast only from like a human perspective. This king who said this, Jesus, was immortal. And he could boast about all kingdoms from all time, past, present, future that he created, along with the world that housed them. Like this king had every single reason to say, look at me, I'm the man, <laughs> however you want to say it. This was the guy who created the heavens and the earth, right? And yet, isn't it interesting? If you put up the next image, Gary, please. This king and representing his kingdom wasn't about shock and awe and power. But this king and his kingdom started from an earthly perspective in a feeding trough for animals. That's where the king was born. And isn't it interesting if you put up the next image, Gary? This king, you probably can't see this, but it's a little boy and his father, and they're making tools of some sort. This king and his kingdom 
He didn't run for public office. <laughs> he didn't demand the attention of glory. In fact, he followed his father into the traits. Isn't it interesting if you put up that next image, Gary? Even as news about this king began to spread, and he made that ride in on Palm Sunday to signify that he indeed was the long-promised Savior King, person who would right wrongs, the one that they were waiting for. He rode in on, you can't see it very well, but it's a, it's a donkey, a borrowed donkey. See, every moment of his entire life, this king, he humbly submitted to God the Father, only did what the Father desired, and never once took over control, never once exercised pride, never once said, Father, I got this. Completely, humbly, 100% submitted to God the Father. And see, family, this is the king and the kingdom that King Nebuchadnezzar and we are invited to step into, to believe in, to orient our hearts and our lives around. But in order to do this, we need to do the same thing that he tells Nebuchadnezzar, the advice that he gives him. We need to repent. And depending upon your background, that could have all sorts of negative connotations, what that means. What that means is to change our minds from belief that working of our lives and our lives are to be lived around our kingdom and to say, no, God, you're king of our life. I want my life to be about your kingdom. That's basically what it means. And I think the reason many of us fail to do this, though, is we believe experientially if, if we're king or queen, if we're in control, life's better. I just got to ask the Dr. Phil question, though. How's that working for you? <laughs> How is that working for you? How is that working for me when we grasp at control, when we cling to pride in any area of life? How is that working for us? Is it better or is it better when we release that to Jesus, when we acknowledge and offer for him to be our king, and when we submit our lives to his loving leadership? I can tell you I've tried it both ways. And the Jesus way is experientially even better. Family, the scriptures present uh, kind of two uh, humbling of ourselves, two opportunities for us to release pride. They, they present an opportunity like Nebuchadnezzar where we don't know, but it seems like from this passage that this was a time when Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in Daniel's God. He had shown signs of being impressed by him in the past, but this is the time when he said, you know what, God, you're in control. Here's my life. Do what you will with me. I'm yours. Change me. I was just hearing uh, one of my brothers in Christ talk about this this last week. He talked about the time that he came into relationship with Jesus and how he described it is he was like, it was a, it was a change of who's on the throne. If this is the throne of our lives, right, and we're seated here, sometimes we feel like Jesus is at our feet kind of serving us. And he's like, no, it's actually opposite. He's like, I got off. I kind of sat down and I acknowledged Jesus. Here's my life. Do what you may. Do what you will. <laughs> I commit myself to you because I think you can lead me better than me leading myself. He talked about that just this past week, and I was like, yeah, that's such an apt description of what it looks like. 
Who's on the throne of our hearts and our lives? Us or God? The scriptures also describe that when, when we do that, you know, some people can point to a day when they did that. Other people can't point to a time, but they're like, you know what, I'm just different. God is changing me. My character is different. My life is different. What I care about is different. My passions are different. So I don't know when, but I've given control of my life to God. I've said, I believe in you. <laughs> Make me new. But the scriptures talk about that as just the beginning. A very important beginning, but just the beginning. Because life with Jesus, I would say, is better, but it's not easier. And a follower of Jesus, we're presented day in and day out with opportunities where we can kind of, about me, or we can still humbly submit and say, no, Jesus, sorry I forgot. I'm sorry in that instance I felt like I was God. I felt like I was in control. You're in control. You do a better job than me. Forgive me. I give it back to you. It's yours. Presents these two opportunities to humble ourselves. One, to begin relationship with God. The other, to grow in our relationship with God. So family, I'm going to leave you with this reflection slide. The music worship team is going to come up and um, Todd's going to play a little bit of instrumental music. And we're just going to reflect for a couple minutes on these two questions. Where is God encouraging you to humble yourself? And what is one thing God is leading you to do regarding this? I'm going to leave these up. I'm going to pray for us. And then in a couple minutes, Todd and music worship team will lead us in song. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we can gather together as spiritual family. Thank you that you are alive and active, that you're working. Thank you that the king that you call us to believe in one time and believe in every day was so different than King Nebuchadnezzar. And when I focus on that king, and when I focus on the kingdom that he talked about, it's so inspiring. Father, you love us exactly where we're at, but you love us too much to allow us to stay there. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning who who has never kind of done that first humbling of themselves like King Nebuchadnezzar did, I pray that you would allow them to see the greatness of Jesus. I pray, pray that you would allow them to relinquish control of their lives to someone who can handle it better, which is your son. And Father, for those in our family who have done that, the opportunities abound for us to take that back in its essence and say, no, God, I got this. I pray that you would lead us to ponder where is an area of our life where we need to humble ourselves, where we need to give you back what's rightfully yours and where we need to relinquish control. And Father, speak to us about how we can that, what we can do to do that. In the next couple minutes in silence, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.